Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Female Footballers Podcast. My name is Cassie Gray, and I am your host. And today we are discussing all things coaching female athletes. We have done this in the past on our podcast, but today we're going to kind of have more of a candid conversation rather than interviewing people. Um, I'm joined by a bunch of our staff members, Kaylee Lucas, Megan Morton, and Rachel Thomas. And saying hi, ladies. Hi. Hello. Hello. Um, we are discussing this because upcoming this Wednesday on February 2nd is National Girls and Women in Sports Day. This day is observed um, by the Women's Sports Foundation, which is founded by Billie Jean King. And we are hosting an event on Wednesday morning at 9.30 Pacific Standard Time. It's a virtual Zoom where we can um, discuss this topic in real time and answer questions and provide some actual tips and resources for coaches who might be struggling coaching female athletes, especially um, after the last few years of COVID and how the mental side of the game has really become a larger part of our job as coaches. So that's kind of what we're gonna discuss today. Without further ado, um, first of all, I'll start with just letting everyone know, um, we started this organization um, more intensely in 2020. Uh, we all came together with a shared mission of helping female athletes succeed in the sport uh, through mental skills mentorship. And um, over the last two years, we have been inundated with emails and questions by coaches who um, kind of don't always feel like they have the resources they need to help female athletes at different ages um, on the mental side of the game. So just to give background, we deem whole player development with four pillars, the technical, tactical, physical, and mental. And we specialize in mentoring girls through the mental side. Um, and we really try to have tangible hands-on activities and drills and sessions that coaches can take away. And that's what we're gonna discuss a lot in our meeting on Wednesday. We will give you takeaway, like actual like drills and activities to do in practice sessions uh, with players of different ages. But today we wanna to kind of discuss why that's necessary. Um, so one question or concern I get from coaches is a lot of the time, um, I feel like this shouldn't be part of my job as a coach is to have to be sort of a psychologist for the girls. Um, that's what their parents and teachers are for. Why do I have to be sort of this um, psychologist listening to their problems? Shouldn't they leave that kind of stuff uh, at home and use soccer kind of as more of a, a place to um, not have to think about that kind of stuff. What do you guys think about that? Because I know I have a lot of opinions, but I want to hear yours. My biggest thing with that is if you look at kind of like the bigger picture, so you have a player that is playing for a coach, they're playing for a team, and they're probably going to have three days of practice per week, maybe two hours per practice, hour and a half or whatnot. So you are having an influence of six hours per week on that individual. So it's kind of, I mean, that's a big chunk of time that they're handing to you um, and for you to leave an impression on them. And a lot of times, like, yes, sports can be an outlet for athletes, but at the same time, like, that's a really kind of like general comment to make. Um, a lot of times athletes, yes, they want to be involved in that sport, but it may not be their favorite or anything like that. So I feel like at the end of the day, like you it's almost like your duty if you're going to be around that person for so many hours 
within a week, within a month, within a year, why not make more of a positive impression on them rather than kind of stepping back and being like, that's not my job type of thing. It's more about like, what can you do instead of what like isn't in your roles and responsibilities? Totally. That's a great point. I think it comes to the, you know, the human connection and in order to, for a player to improve, they need to feel, you know, safe, just like we need kids to, you know, as they develop um, as children. And then when they're in school, you know, teaching them things so that they have these skills um, and then they can take that, take that next chance. And if they're not comfortable, then they're not going to take that chance. So it is, I think it's a huge piece of coaching is making that the environment and the culture one that allows for, you know, growth and growth of the coach too. You know, like, I think it's super important to be honest as a coach. I was coaching a basketball game one time and I, the, I misread the scoreboard. I thought we were down, but we were ahead. And so I drew up a play for us to try to get a shot and all, and we didn't, we needed to kill the clock, you know, and it ended up that it was, you know, we, we won the game and it was fine. But after the game, my, my daughters came up to me, they're like, why, how, how come you said that? And I was like, what? And then I learned that I had misread. And I, so I, you know, owned up to it to the girls. I was like, oh my gosh, you guys, like, here's a moment for me to learn, like double check, make sure you're looking at the right thing. And, you know, just those skills, but being honest and and just creating that environment and culture that they want to come, they want to work hard, and um, and and it's a positive, you know, to your point, Megan, time spent doing something that if they love, if they love a sport, that's great. Let's keep that love going and develop them. Absolutely. I think just to add a little is also the taking the responsibility of personalizing the coaching experience to your athletes and understanding your athletes on a deeper level. I think one way is not going to um, be effective for every athlete. And if your goal as a coach is to get the best out of every athlete, it needs to be personalized or customized to ensure that you're um, meeting their needs and the environment and the culture, you can establish that is what you'd like, but knowing within that culture that that personal element can really make a large difference in the lives of the athlete, both athletically and personally. To me, that's the exact element that there's an argument about. It's there's one side of coaches that I feel like believe that this is my session. This is what our team needs to get better at technically, tactically, physically, and Mentally, you need to be there with me because that's this is the session. And then the other side of it is coaches who feel like they need to meet their players halfway and kind of personalize it. And what I think, and I see it in teaching. I know I always equate everything to teaching, but it's the same type of thing with there's there's certain teachers that are going to give a test regardless because this test needs to be given and we need data. Just like in the soccer world, I mean, the world, the word data and tracking stats and data on the tech, the technical skills in a technology way right now is what is killing me. Like U.S. soccer, love U.S. soccer, kind of sometimes don't, but they track, they're, they're putting a lot of time and effort into tracking statistics on, um, you know, technical and physical kind of skills. And not to say that that's bad, 
But this is what I mean. So there's teachers that are like, I'm going to give this test regardless because I need the data to see where these kids are at. And I think the other type of teacher is sort of like, you know, these kids are coming off of a really exhausting week. I'm missing five of them in my class. I feel like they're dragging today. Um, this might not be the best day to give the quiz. I'm going to try tomorrow morning and um, see if I get a better outcome kind of on that. And they kind of read the room and they feel the culture and the vibe of, of what their students can handle and take. And they are noticing how their, their personality affects that vibe. And again, that's all part of personalizing it. And I think that there still are a lot of coaches who are like, you need to meet me here because this is my team and this is, I'm setting the bar and this is how it's gonna go. And I do think even player-wise, there are some players that go into a team and that they think that's their job too, is like leave my crap at the door and I'm gonna go and I need to do what this coach is telling me to do. And then there's some who are like, coach, I'm drowning here. Can we talk about this? Like I need, and I think it's a very slippery slope, you know, and I think it's tricky, but I do think that um, the coaches who are the most successful create a culture where there is personalization, um, but it is a balance. It can't be all on one side or the other, for sure. I agree with that. Any other thoughts on that topic? Well, um, I think I was I was listening to a podcast. Um, I think it was the Just Women's Sports podcast, but uh, Steph Stephanie Dolson was on it, and she just what she's a WNBA player who won the championship at the Sky recently, won the three on three gold medal this last summer, and she's uh, and won probably several titles with UConn when she was at UConn and she was talking about Gino and you know Gino like one of the most decorated women's basketball coaches and she almost left and he they she figured it like they figured it out she was like I don't like the way you're talking to me and he was like okay what how do you want me to talk to you like how can we work this out and they figured it out and she obviously she stayed and she elevated her game I mean she's a gold olympian or a gold medalist now you know and and a WNBA champion and I thought that was so telling that like here is this amazing she's she's young so she was just at UConn you know recently and so Gino is very aware of that and he knew he said something to, something's not working you know, like they addressed it together and then they figured out a plan. And um, I thought it was just really interesting because she was like, I need a lot of positive praise. Like, that's what I need. Um, I don't do well. You know, I already know I made that mistake. I don't do well being told, you know, you made that mistake or whatever. So I thought it was really interesting for such a high level coach and, and, and not surprising also just, it was great. Yeah, go ahead, Megan. Did you want to add to that? I was going to say, uh, to touch on the point that a lot of times coaches will be like, well, that's like the job of the parents. The parents should be the ones, um, able to talk with them and things like that, which to me, especially in today's day and age, when there's so much adversity, you don't know what the home life is like or what their relationship is like with their parents. Um, so it's one of those, just going back to the, um, advice that you have to be able to control what you can control and let go of what you can't, you can't control the type of relationship like an athlete has with their parents, um, whether single parent, um, being, maybe being raised by grandparents or whatever it may be, like you don't have any control over that. But what you do have control is, again, how you influence that athlete um, when they may not have that type of 
support coming from home outside of their sport that they play. Or, yeah. or they have an overly, you know, zealous parent who's coaching them from yes. the lines all the times. And, you know, you can see the players who just are, they're so nervous or looking immediately in the stands or at their parents after they make a mistake or whatever it is. And so to try to be <laughs> someone who can foster, you know, you know, it's okay. It's all right. You just play, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of which, um, the, another question I feel like I've, uh, on along this topic, I feel like I've heard from coaches say a lot, which is after COVID, some coaches I've heard, they feel like, and with this push for like the mental side, they feel like, well, are we creating softer players? Like I've definitely gotten that question. Like, don't you think that by giving them some of this like by personalizing it, that we're giving them too much power and then it's creating softer, less mentally tough players. What do you guys think about that? Don't all jump in at once. <laughs> well, I think it's, you know, the the social emotional learning, I, you know, Cassie and I coming from the education perspective, the, that has been, you know, in recent years, be integrated into the curriculum and and it's now a teacher's responsibility and why because we know that when a child feels you know more confidence or you know and has these skills that they're going to do better in school um and if they're in an environment that's supportive and there is this personalization to it you know um that they're going to do better differentiating is is what makes a great teacher and it's what makes a great coach and you can go like I mean I've had lesson plans for classes you know practice plans and walk in and like you say Cass like you walk in and it's like whoa the vibe here is not this let's throw that out the window or maybe like something happened that's totally outside of your control you know a, a kid you know something tragic happened or something you know silly in your mind like oh she broke up with her boyfriend or so you know like but it's a really big deal. And as if you can just at least, it's not like, oh, we won't practice now or what, you know, but just like sort of recognize and be like, recognize that, man, that m- must be tough for you right now. Like, you know, what do you want to do in the next two minutes to help you focus? Cause now you have 90 minutes or two hours to, to do something you love, you know, and that escapism that you get from, from sports and how that can be, you know, therapeutic and stuff. So. I have to add really quickly because Rachel and I played at UC Berkeley together and we had the same coach and I'm, I've always been a bit critical of him because he was very direct in his communication and I sometimes needed like softer communication. But one thing he did do when you just said break up with your boyfriend, I had broken up uh, with my boyfriend. We were in Oregon at a hotel and my my now husband at the time was my boyfriend. Um, he was played, played soccer in Oregon and I was out of my room at like midnight in the lobby on the phone and all the coaches came back from going out. And I feel like he had an opportunity to really get mad at me and bench me or whatever, because I broke the rules, but he actually sat with me for like 30 minutes and listened to why I was out there, what was going on so that he could hear me first before, you know? And I think that takes a coach that does care about culture and his players to do that. Whereas I do think some coaches would see that and immediately be like, you're out past curfew. What the heck are you doing? 
you're not playing tomorrow, whatever, but he didn't. And I think that that is a testament to the fact that he did care. And so I agree. I think you're going to get more when you show that you care. Sorry, Haley, Megan, go for it. I was just going to add real quick that I think a lot of times some coaches listening to this and kind of coaches are like, well, it's about winning. Like I have to do what I need to do to win. And I think that there's a large disconnect that this part of the game is what allows you to win. And for me personally, growing up, being yelled at, like it happened all the time. And it was just like normal um, for the coaches that I had. And I was someone who was able to kind of take it, whatever. Um, but other teammates weren't. And I recognized the way they were being communicated um, to was very different. And it made them kind of go inside themselves and not take risks, not bring their talents to the game. And basically they, the coach got nothing out of them by doing it and their playing suffered as a result. And therefore our team's results suffered. So if you're going to look at it from a pure performance standpoint, where you want your team to win and that's all you care about, if you're not doing the culture piece and paying attention to catering to your athletes and communication style or getting the most out of them in a way that's going to be effective, you're not going to win. So it's the culture and the mental side that we always talk about. We don't talk about it because we're like, oh, we just want everyone to feel good. Like it helps make you a better person um, professionally in your professional career. It helps make you a better athlete. It's building skills um, that make you confident. And I don't think confident people are soft. So that's kind of my answer to people who say that kind of crap. I feel like that was just a total mic drop of like, I don't think confident people are soft. Like, I love that. That was, that was perfect. Um, and I completely agree with you. And I feel like you build confidence by as a coach being extremely transparent, first of all, and communicating your process and your boundaries um, and kind of like your goals for that individual, your goals for that team. And I think because athletes nowadays, kids nowadays, teenagers, um, whatever age it may be, I feel as if they're smart, like they're smarter than probably what like a lot of coaches give them credit for. And a lot of times they just want you to be dead honest with them. And the fact that like, Hey, I understand what you're going through. I want to listen to understand you not listen to respond. And from that, let's work together to build that next step of next goal. Um, things like that, whether it may be, Hey, I know you're going through a really rough time. Let's just get through the first 30 minutes of practice. All right, cool. We made it to that. Let's get through the next 30 minutes of practice and things like that. So for coaches and like, I feel it's almost just be transparent, have those, like have those hard talks, have like be ready for that communication um, in order to, again, set those boundaries of I'm going to understand you, but I'm also going to push you to be better or to make smarter decisions, things like that. And I think like, that's the biggest thing is just recognizing, Hey, they, they're going to go through some tough times, et cetera, but it's all about like kind of how you handle it with them, not against them. Absolutely. And that actually brings me to, um, so yesterday on Instagram, I I'm kind of obsessed with Glennon Doyle. I know I bring her up a lot, um, only because I feel like she's not afraid to say some of the stuff that some people are afraid to say. And yesterday I liked her post was, um, it was a shout out to kid coaches 
and she said, stop saying I yell at you because I care. Um, and I think that our generation, at least mine, but I would I would assume that all, all of us on here definitely heard that, you know, like I'm yelling at you because I care about you. And um, her argument was that it sets up toxic understanding of what care should look and feel like. Um, and I kind of uh, agree with that. And I think that, again, equating it to the classroom, because those are the two areas that children spend the most time in is probably after school activities and in school, right? That's where they spend the bulk of their time. And I don't know, I, I, it's funny how as parents, like we're okay with a coach screaming at our kids sometimes, but like if a teacher raises her voice, immediately they're like, why is your teacher yelling at you? But for some reason it's okay for a coach to do it. And that's right there, like a huge part of what's wrong with culture and sports um, and why um, like, where we have so many like issues, like you see a Simone Biles and all the things in the NWSL, like we're allowing a culture to exist that it can be really toxic for kids because we're not differentiating and personalizing. And so um, she suggests that you say, I yell because I haven't learned to regulate my emotions and uh, I struggle to communicate effectively, which obviously that's very Glenn and Doyle. But, um, you know, I do think that, um, I know one coach uh, who I have a lot of conversations with and, and he is so willing to work on himself and he's so willing to learn and, and get better. And I think that's the first step, right? Is like, if you're willing to try and get better, like there aren't, half the problem is most coaches are too proud to get to that point. And I would agree it's like in education as well. There's some teachers that are like, this is how I run my classroom. And nobody needs to come in here and change it. Um, but I think that being self-aware of your your um, your shortcomings is is the first step, and then really seeking out resources to help you is the second. And he does a lot of that as well. And I think there's a lot of coaches that do that. Um, that brings me to the next kind of segment, which is, do you guys feel like there are appropriate and enough resources for coaches on the female mindset? And I say the female mindset because there's there's more and more on the psychological or the psychosocial side of sport. Um, there are oh, there's been sports psychologists around for a long time, but do you feel like in the soccer world for female athletes there are enough resources for coaches? What do you think? I think there are enough resources. It's just a willingness to seek them out and to use them, like us come to us. We'll help you. Also, I, something I'll add to that. I think the female mindset's important, but I also think it's equally as important that male teams devote as much time to this. And I think that the soft kind of mentality, there's a lot more of a stereotype there that they have to kind of embody these masculine traits that don't care about, um, these kind of culture related things, but that's something that definitely still needs to be focused on. And it has a very similar impact on young men as well as it does on women. I know we talk about it because there are specific things related to women that need to be different, um, but both sides definitely need attention. Absolutely. Rach, do you have more to say or no? Kind of the same. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And I think, um, I do think, and this is sort of going a little bit deeper, um, for the first time in a long time, I'm now aware that US soccer is really putting efforts into 
their licensing uh, courses that have to do with the mental side. Whereas before it might've been always laced in there, but there weren't specific um, sort of licenses that you could get for being um, on the sports psych side without being a sports psych. Um, you United soccer coaches have had a few diplomas in the last few years related to the mental side of the game. And that was kind of one of the areas. Um, but I would argue, and I think this is what makes us unique, is there is this notion that you need to become an expert at something and you need to have the licensing, which I don't disagree that you need to do your research. Research is important. We are a research-based organization. Everything that we do in our sessions is, is research-based and, and um, being in the education world, we know how to develop programs and curriculum. But um, I think that some coaches, they, they kind of look at it black and white, like I don't have the money or the time to go get the seven day, three, you know, $3,000 license, I need to technically be that. So I'm just not going to do it. And um, I think there's a lot of other ways that you can get professional development without signing up for a license. You know, I think it it's what you read, what you consume. Like we, we, when we say like you are what you consume, it's not just for players, it's for coaches. And so many coaches are um, attracted to, you know, books on famous coaches like Pep and, and things like that, which is not a bad thing. But some of, I believe, a, the job of a coach is also to work on yourself and some of the self-healthy type of books. I mean, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be on soccer. Like I just read Shoe Dog, for example, which is the story of Phil Knight and how he started Nike. And there's so much I can apply to leadership from that book. So it's really about like finding um, resources that you feel like um, help towards your leadership style and in, in putting in culture into your program or your team. You guys have any resources that you want to share with people that you feel like coaches should read or listen to any of that? Please feel free. I think one of the biggest things I've noticed, especially um, within the past couple of years, is that there's a demand for change to be overnight, instant, et cetera, um, which is fine in some circumstances, but I think a lot of coaches are pushing back on the idea just because they're like, well, I can't change my entire coaching uh, ways, coaching habits overnight. I can't do that. So to them, that task looks really daunting. I mean, so I think it's a little bit more of being supportive of that. Hey, we're not looking for everything to happen overnight or in one season, but you're going to be able to build those stronger and a little bit more positive, a little bit different coaching habits one day at a time, one practice at a time, one like small step at a time. And I think that's the biggest thing is we can provide all the resources um, that we can, which I think has been a, a lot um, more than what has happened in the past. But at the same time, I think uh, as a group, a lot of like a lot of people need to also understand that it's not going to happen overnight and you need to kind of provide that support of let's do, let's work on like small steps, small steps here and there that then will develop into your coaching habits and things like that. So that coaches, when they do, when they are approached about, Hey, like 
let's look at the mental side of things. Let's look at the emotional side of things, et cetera. They don't see it as this huge, like massive textbook we're handing them as you need to get this done tonight and it's due tomorrow, but more as like, Hey, let's break it down chapter by chapter, step by step. And eventually you're going to see those bigger goals being met over time, um, which is the biggest thing. And that's something I've learned from you guys. Actually, a female footballer sent me this book, The Slight Edge, um, which is hands down one of my favorite ones now. Um, And it does talk about just making those small differences every day, whether it's 15 minutes of reading, whether it's I'm going to just go walk for 10 minutes a day and the next week I'm going to do 15 minutes or whatever it may be, but starting small and that compound effect of things adding up over time. And I think that's the biggest thing for coaches to remember is that it's not going to happen overnight. And it's just going to be because something like you just constantly have to kind of like chip away at. Absolutely. And you can't, you can't um, sort of deem your successes based on wins in this, in this regard, like you have to look at the small wins um, and all of that ties into the last few podcasts of habits and, and how we talk a lot about habit setting and goal setting for our players, but coaches absolutely need to have goals for themselves and to be working and changing and creating new habits for themselves too. And, and that kind of ties into um, the other part of this when it comes to uh, the coaches is, you know, I asked you if you felt like they had enough resources. We said for the most part, yes, but um, well, I also want to give Haley and Rachel a turn to, did you guys have any real quick before I move past any other books or podcasts or anything you think that coaches should listen to? I know we've dropped. Sorry, I just got a mute. Um, did you guys have any you wanted to add? No. Not particularly. I think one comment I'll make is um, just about a little more self-analysis and reflection is why are you coaching in the first place and kind of tying it back to that when you seem to lose sight of things or it becomes difficult. And even maybe the reason you're coaching is not necessarily the most productive. So kind of analyzing that and maybe that determines what age group you coach. Um, Maybe it determines what level you coach and all those kind of things. If you want to be critically involved in that development of the player and on both sides. Some people want to get into it because they want to see kids grow and become better humans, which is a way to do it. Or it's, I was a past player. I still want to stay involved in the game. So kind of looking more deeply at why you coach and how that impacts the choices you make. Totally. Yeah. I think, you know, that why, why, why do you want to spend time doing this is definitely, um, and then, and then spend that time effectively into your, you know, the best you can be at that. Um, I know we talked about on one of the podcasts, uh, Lisa Damore, and she's written several books specifically about um, teenage girls. Um, and a lot of that is preteen stuff as well. Um, so she has some great books that you can check out. Um, and then another different or more the athlete side, the mindset is the mind gym. And um, I'm forgetting the author at the moment, but that has some really good resources too. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I think there's, there's so much out there, but I do think another part of it is getting to talk to other coaches. And that kind of leads me into the question of, do you feel like clubs do a good job of supporting their coaches when it comes to this kind of stuff? Because one other question I've gotten or question I get a lot is about dealing with parents. Um, 
And we're not sitting here saying that we're the end all be all answers to knowing how to deal with parents. But I will say that I think sometimes the less issues you have on a team with parents often can be equated to a positive culture on your team. I think if you're having a lot of parent issues, I think that's an indicator to look at the culture in your uh, organization or your team. And I think that um, it's good if parents are coming to you rather than going to your superior. Um, that's one good thing. However, if they're coming to you and you don't know how to handle something and you go to your uh, DOC or you go to your technical director and they're not responsive for you, that's a problem in the culture of the organization you're coaching in too. Um, I think that I can obviously also equate this to teaching and I don't want a parent to bypass me and go to my principal. I want them to feel comfortable talking to me and that's part of the culture I set with the parents. So I wanna make sure that I'm approachable, that I have open communication. Um, I think coaches need to do a good job of that. Um, but I also, um, I wanna feel supported by my principal if there were an issue. And I think sometimes in youth and, and um, competitive soccer, the parents get a little too much power. And I think sometimes the um, organization is so willing to cater to that because it's a business and not just an organization that sometimes you don't feel supported as a coach. And I get a lot of questions on, on that kind of stuff. Um, and this is all such situational questions when it comes to parents and stuff. Um, more than anything, I think the more communication you have with coach or with parents, the better. Um, if you're a, a coach who you have your own kids or whatnot, and your own kid's teacher is regularly communicating you with you, whether it's through a program like I have a middle schooler or a high schooler where there's a program where you can check their grades and get notes from their teachers, or your uh, elementary school kid, you're getting up, you know, weekly or monthly newsletters from your kid's teacher. That's regular communication. And I want you to think about as a coach, am I doing that for my players? Do I have uh, weekly or monthly communication with the families? Some coaches are really good at that. And I think that helps the culture of a team. And some, you never hear from the coach and you're like, I have no idea what's going on. Um, I haven't talked to them or you just see them at a game. And then they approach, you know, I think coaches are like, God, I get bombarded at the end of a game. Well, maybe you're not communicating regularly and then you're getting bombarded because it's the only time they see you and can talk to you, you know? So it's something to think about. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Or even experiences with that as a coach? Well, no. I think, you know, in the schools you have like the teacher room and there are some stories swapped and sort of that therapeutic, you know, talk with someone who maybe either had a similar experience or just can relate. Right. And I think that that is missing because, you know, you're out on the fields and you know, you're all doing your practices unless, you know, you spend time outside of your coaching hours meeting with coaches. And I don't know how often that happens in clubs, but to me, if I, you know, as a BOC, that might be something that would be really um, something to think about, have, you know, these monthly or whatever sessions for your coaches to just sort of chat. It's not, it's, we're not going to spend, I mean, maybe you talk about something, but just to give them that opportunity, because I feel like it's, it's helpful that you're like, okay, I'm not alone. I mean, of course, in that, and then also just ideas of how to handle it 
And, and even not even if it's just a bad situation, you know, if it's a good one, like, oh my gosh, I just had the best session. Like we did this and I didn't know how it would go because I know I, we've done that. Like you spend all this time prepping something and you're like, oh my gosh, that went totally sideways, not how I wanted. And then something else. And it was like amazing. And so you want to share that excitement um, and your miseries with people who can relate. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that, um, that's something that sometimes I think is missing. I think the larger clubs probably have more abilities to create uh, coaches meetings where there is um, small group, you know, sharing and stuff like that. I think the smaller the club, maybe the harder, or maybe it's flopped. Sometimes the larger the club, it becomes such a business. Uh, and the smaller the club you have that, I don't know. I think that really depends on your director or your technical director. And um, that is something that if you're a coach and you're feeling very alone in your experience, you should be going to talk to your technical director or DOC and just say, like, how come we don't do this? And, you know, I think that says a lot about where you're at. And that could have a huge part in why you might be having no success or frustrations or, or whatnot, because you don't just come from a team and playing on a team your whole life to then coaching and not being a part of a team. You're still a part of a, of a team in that regard and you need to have those moments so any other thoughts on that all righty and when it comes to parents i would say um uh, as a coach there's a lot of young coaches and that's not a bad thing um but i think it's a coach's job to acknowledge what they're hearing uh from a parent or a player um, you know, by almost repeating it back, like, I hear you saying this, I'm trying to understand where you're coming from, like validating the feelings first, and then going in with, you know, suggestions or whatnot. I think sometimes, again, coaches, um, they forget that, especially with teen girls, I would say sometimes forget, and you might not be a teen girl, so you've never been in those positions, but uh, I would say ages 10 to 20, like, there's a lot going on inside the mentality of a female athlete. And even if you're not a female athlete or never were, putting yourself in the shoes of what it felt like in times of struggle and uncomfort, you know, discomfort and um, and changes in your life and trying to put yourself there and, and approaching everything with empathy is only going to help you rather than hurt you. So um, I think that's all I've got today, ladies. Do you have anything else you want to add? I think that we will talk a lot more about this in our meeting, um, our coaches coaching the female mindset, which is coming up this Wednesday, February 2nd, um, 9.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's a Zoom that's linked on our Instagram and our LinkedIn, and we'll put it on our website. Um, but we really hope that you join us because it'll be a place where you can ask questions and get answers, and we'll give you a few culture-building activities you can do in your sessions that might help you little takeaways. So we hope you join us and we thank you so much for your time. Um, anything else, ladies, you want to say bye? <laughs> bye. Bye. Thanks guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon.